Time doesn't stand still, does it? And I think Steve might have taken my punchline away a little bit. Oh dear, sorry about that. (laughs) We are each day one day older than the day we were before. So yes, I have had a significant birthday recently. Um, I'm hoping that there might be a few more to come yet. But before you know it, before we know it, we've probably got to that three score years and ten That's the age quoted in the Bible for the length of time that we might hope to inhabit this planet. And actually, even by the time we're 50, for those of you who have already got there as I have, perhaps we spend some time wondering how it's come to be because it's passed ever so quickly, hasn't it? I've read quite a few emails since I was back just last night and many of them have been from Martin. There have been others, I've been asked to take three funerals. As we get older, we're also mindful of friends pass away, that our time on this planet is limited, it doesn't last forever. In the end of one of Martin's emails about his father, he did talk about his father having a very deep faith and being somebody who lived with the hope of things to come. And so Martin was mourning more for the loss that he could see that his mother was suffering through than for his father, because Martin is also confident in the hope of where his father is today. We don't have to think about life and death, our life and death. We can look at the seasons to see that we are in a constant reminder of life, rebirth, maturity and death but how do things come to an end what is the Christian end of things how does the Christian story end as a child I loved fairy stories um, and I still do a few weeks ago I went to see Aladdin um, with one of my sons and his girlfriend I already knew the ending and I loved it. It was escapism for a couple of hours or so. The Christian story is the ultimate, and I'm going to say fairy story because it's, it's a true story, but it's the ultimate good news story that ends in a most wonderful way. But there is a hard edge to this story as well. And so the readings that we've had from Revelation today They remind us of the hard edge, and I'll talk about that a little bit more later, but also of all that will be to come to us too. I think one of the things that we tend to do very quickly and very easily is talk about how we're living in the end times. We say quite quickly, don't we, we're living in the time between the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus and the time of his coming again in glory. We are people of the king and people who belong to a kingdom that we can't quite see fully in the present. We struggle with things, well I struggle with things, I struggle reading the news every day. All the stories of devastation and death and illness, injustice, abuse and terrorism. To me that really doesn't look like the kingdom that God is calling in. Yet. That's where we are placed. And that's what we have to inhabit now. We have to inhabit the earth, knowing that there is a different place that we will go at some time in the future. 
and we don't know when, and we don't quite know how it's all going to come to be because we've not given all the details. But I believe what we have in the Bible, what we have in the Christian faith, gives us enough to continue to hope. So we have the last two lines of the creed. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We have this as our hope. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 of the three things which remain, which are love, faith and hope. And we have a hope that will not disappoint us. We can hope that in God's time, when the world and the salvation history and God's plan for his creation has continued to unfold, that we will see resurrection of the dead and we will enter into the life to come fully. If we look first for the resurrection of the dead... I don't know when this will be. It will be some time in the future. All those we have known and loved, all those we have heard about who have died, will be resurrected. That's everybody who will be raised, I believe. The righteous and unrighteousness, righteous, wherever they are. The Bible text today talked about those who'd been lost at sea, there was um, a lot of unrest in the early church about what would happen if those who had died in shipwrecks or in other places, but they will not be forgotten, they will be included too. There's a wonderful painting in the Tate, and I haven't got the picture to show you, but it's by Sir Stanley Spencer, if you want to have a look. And it's of a village graveyard, and there it shows all the people being raised up on the last day, all the graves being open, everybody waking up, coming back to life. I sometimes wonder what it'll be as I walk through graveyards, particularly country graveyards, where there's a deep sense of community and family, what that day will be like. But it's not going to be a resurrection of our souls or something just spiritual. We're not going to come back to life as angels. I see that so often, particularly on social media. We're not going to be disembodied. It's going to be deeply physical. Have a think about what we've spoken about earlier with Jesus' resurrection body. He was recognised, but his body was different. He was present physically with them, but was changed, but still recognisable. He could still eat, couldn't he? Remember, perhaps it'll be similar to that. But we are raised for a purpose, because at this end of time, there will be judgment. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, says, For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body. The passage that Charles just read to us from Revelation talked about the book of life being opened and read. The names in the book of life are of all those who will receive the gift of eternal life from God. This book is mentioned a few times in the Bible. In Revelation, it's, it's mentioned with a call for us to be faithful. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life, too, in Revelation. 
And so it's connecting this reading of names at the end of time with the costly redemption that's been purchased by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I think it also emphasises that at the end of time, judgment will come from God. And it's not a judgment from others claiming authority over our lives or what they think will be. We have no rights or place to judge others. We don't know whose names are written in the book. We don't know the commitments people have made to God or how God is working in their lives or how God continues to call his creation to himself. These are all things we trust and leave with him, hoping and trusting that in all things he will work for good. The other time the book of life is mentioned, it talks about security of salvation. God says, I will never blot out their names. We have a choice, I believe. I believe our choice is to face judgment, how we've lived our life and on our own deeds by ourselves. It says, and they were judged according to what they had done. Or we can be judged as belonging to Jesus and to God. So the ultimate question I think for all of us has to be, are we going to do things our way? Or are we going to do things God's way? Are we going to accept the offer of life that is given to us by God? Or is it something that we've heard about but have decided to reject? I don't think we can save ourselves. I think that is the work of God. It's the work that Jesus did on the cross for each one of us. It's at that point over that time that we have been reconciled to God, the past coming forward to the present. So if we choose our way, living life how we want, striving for us alone, the ultimate consequence of that might be eternal death. And I think the Bible is clear on that in, in various points. Romans 3.20 no one is righteous before God alone. We are righteous through him. We have a choice though, and we have a God who loves us and calls us, who wants us to follow him. We have a choice to follow the lamb and have our name in that book of life. And then we have, by God's grace, entry into the new Jerusalem and all that is to come. And that's a really hard edge to the gospel, but I think it's there in scripture. So there will be a second death. Cheryl read that out today. Death and Hades will be destroyed, as will all rebellion against God. Remember the words of the hymn, the death of death and hell's destruction land me safe on Canaan's side. I think in a sense the second death points to the refusal and I think God will keep asking to accept the ways and the life that God offers. And at some point that means that there will be finality over that. 
symbolised by the destructive power of fire. Revelation uses lots of symbolism. It's quite tricky, isn't it? For me, this text is a reminder of the importance of the mission each one of us has today. And I also think the priority we need to remain, to remain open to the ways and the love of God, the way that God calls us and draws us to himself, the way that God loves all of us and loves his creation too, and all that he has done for each and every one of us so that we can join him eternally. I think whilst there is life, there is still time, and I do not know what happens at the point of death either. I don't know. It's his work, his time. And while we have breath, there is always the possibility of a new start with God right now. Eugene Peterson, um, a theologian, I think he, he was one person who was given the message translation of the Bible, died recently. And um, at his funeral, his son said that his father only ever had one sermon, and it was this. It was, God loves you. God is on your side. He is coming after you. And he is relentless. I don't believe he gives up. I think there is always hope. For us, listening to this, reading the Bible today, let us all remember that there's always the chance to repent, to change what needs to be changed. And while we're living, there's the opportunity to speak out, to be prophetic people that we are called to be, to stand out against injustice and sin in our lives and in each other's lives. And I think we each, and I'm preaching to myself here, not just you lot, but it's to look at our lives, my life, and think about what things need to change. What is it in me that is not aligned to the ways and will of God? It gets better now. <laughs> We're on the last line. Remember hope. Remember where God wants to draw us and call us and it's into the life of the world to come. This is really difficult to envisage because it hasn't happened yet, I'm not there yet. There might be glimmers, times when there's a sense of something far more than I can actually put into words. And all that I know as the church worships, the tradition of the church as I read the Bible, as I pray, there's a deep sense inside that there's a hope, that there's something far more that we've got to continue walking towards. So we believe that there is life after death. There is life beyond what we have in the here and now. I've already said that we'll probably be recognisable. I think we will be more deeply the people God has created and called us to be. So I'll be far more me, because at the moment I'm held back by sin in my life, sin in the world, things that are done to me, things that I do, and we're all in that same mess together. We're all rubbing against each other, aren't we? So I'll be more like me, you'll be more like you, and more free to be the people God has created and wants us to be. 
We'll be around others that have gone before us. We'll be reunited together. So have a good look around now because these people are going to be with you for a long, long time. We'll be able to live rejoicing, happy. Between us, there'll be no longer competition or jealousy or possessiveness. Won't that be wonderful? We know we will be where we, we know we will be where we fully and completely belong. Do you ever have some sort of sense of exile, of not quite belonging at times, of this not being all there is? I have that. That will vanish because I know I will be where I am called to be. How will it be? Better than anything we can imagine. <laughs> I haven't got the words. Delightful, beautiful, heavenly, wonderful, playful, joyful, amazing. Where we will be fully known, where we will see God face to face. It'll be a place where there's no more evil. Death and evil have finished. They've been vanquished. It's ended. So it's going to be good. No more suffering, no more death, no more decay. Life will not be the constant struggle. We all have that, don't we? We all see that. It's difficult to live with, it's difficult to see. No more tears, no more injustice, no more terror. And there will be the end of the separation of earth and heaven. We had the imagery in Revelation of the holy city, the bride coming down, the church, and the dwelling place of those people, of the church, of us, will be with God. He will be with his people. He will dwell with us, with them. It will be all we long for and more. There will be the end of the separation between the earthly and the heavenly because all that is unholy, all the places where God cannot fully come will, will have been eliminated already. God will be with us. There's a huge resonance from the Old Testament in this bit of Revelation because it's pointing to a time or when people are purified and can live in holy obedience restored to their homeland with God in the dwelling place that he has established for them. So I can really sense Old Testament teaching and stories in this. We will have people from every tribe and nation, Gentiles and Jews, together in a renewed community. I don't know if I've got all that quite right. I've probably not... I've tried my best. I don't know. This is all God's work from beginning to end. It's not mine and it's not yours. We participate in him, in his life. We say a yes to his gracious gift and invitation. Behold, I am making all things new. He is working all things out, his purposes out in a way that is wonderfully consistent with his nature and his character. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
the creator, the redeemer, and the judge, the restorer of all things. I love the prophetic book of Isaiah. If you haven't um, read it or haven't read it recently, have another dip in, particularly the middle bits. It talks about God, who he is. Isaiah 46, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all I purpose. We have a God who is consistent of character, who has created us, who has redeemed us and will continue to work out his good purposes in us. He will keep his promises because that is who he is. It is part of his nature. He can be no different. Salvation history will continue and we will see fulfillment in that. For all the things that God wishes and desires, those things to come to pass. And he doesn't need our response in this. We can't make it happen in that sense. But I think we can accept the invitation that God makes to each and every one of us. He says it is done. Words that echo what Jesus said on the cross, remember? To the thirsty I will give give from the water of life. And that echoes the invitation in Isaiah again. Isaiah 55 this time. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. I, God, will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. We are participants in that everlasting covenant. Participants in a God who continues to love. If you think about Israel, all that Israel did and wandered away They had a God who constantly and continually called them back to himself. We have a God who loves and who invites us to participate in this wonderful, wonderful life of his. Revelation 21.6 To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. That gift is the gift of God himself a foretaste of all that is promised in hope to us. John 7 talks about the spirit as the water of life, that down payment that God has placed within each and every one of us, our comforter, our encourager, that nudge, that deep down inside that actually this is true. So what's the application for us? I know I've already mentioned some things. In this in-between time, after Jesus' death and resurrection and before the last judgment, we have time to respond. We have time to wait on God and to listen to him. It has just been my 50th birthday. But on August the 4th, it's the 50th anniversary of my baptism. I'm really thankful to my parents and my godparents because they presented me, they they made promises about the faith on my behalf at a time when I could not, 
But I want to tell you that I was brought up in the church. I've got no memory of not being involved in a church family. So by the time I was confirmed at 10, I had already met the living Lord. I already knew that I too was included in this wonderful story. And I think that's what I want to say as we've listened to the teaching on the creed, as we stand and recite the creed. The creed is wonderful words founded on scripture. They are the, you know, the, the core of our faith. But they're no good just up here. There needs to at some point be a transition down so that it impacts our heart and our gut so that we know. Because it's when that happens, lives are transformed and we start to walk more willingly in the ways that God wants us to walk. So that's the response. It's the continual coming on a Sunday, yes, reading our Bibles and praying. And that God who is relentless will at some point do something with us so that that head knowledge becomes real and we start to live it. It's a reminder too, isn't it, that we are mortal. That we are the created creatures, that we are not God, that we are saved through the grace of God, made present to us in human form in Jesus Christ. We can hold on to these things in the hope because we have a God who is consistent in character and nature who we can trust. The things I've talked about are a future trajectory. They are not here yet. We have a God who seems to wait patiently for us. I think he waits patiently because he wants all of us with him. And while we're waiting, I also want to say that we do this together as community because we so need each other. We so need each other on the days when I haven't got hope, I need your hope and encouragement. And that's how we're called to live now, trusting in these promises, trusting in all that God has done and all that God will do together. So friends... We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.